I'm Heidi Harris. Welcome to Headlines with Heidi. I do these a couple of times a week. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts. You can also find me live Sunday nights in St. Louis, 97.1 FM Talk, where I do a live radio show, 7 to 9 p.m. St. Louis time. During the week, I do videos. I call them Headlines with Heidi, and they're at Rumble under that name or at HeidiHarris.com. Last week, I caught up with Dr. Kelly Victory, who's been one of my pandemic heroes, a real clear thinker and a truth teller. I did it on video, but I wanted to do a podcast version that a lot of people asked for it. So here it is. So Dr. Victory, great to have you again. You and I have had questions from day one. When I say you and I, I'm not putting this in the same category, but we, we both went, wait a minute, you're a doctor. And you went, wait a minute, we thought this vaccine, not a vaccine, this shot had, you know, so we were suspicious. We had some reasons to be concerned. We had no idea that it would be as bad as what we're seeing now. I think that's right. I, let me begin by saying I am not anti-vaccine, uh, anything but. I have been uh, called a vaccine zealot in the past. I have certainly spoken and written prolifically during my career about the importance of vaccinations. My concern very, very early on, Heidi, was with this particular vaccine. Even before it was released to the public, when it was under the tutelage of, uh, of the Trump administration, when right. they they were calling it Operation Warp Speed. And I said, whoa, 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 that's a really bad name for a vaccination program. Uh, there, there's a reason why vaccines on average take six to eight years to come to market if they ever come to market at all. Right. The idea that we were going to create and launch a vaccine in a matter of months or in under a year, I thought was really not only implausible, but unsafe, unwise, because there's simply too much that you don't know about it. You might, uh, in early studies, it may look like it has high efficacy, but that efficacy may be uh, something that wanes very quickly. You have no idea about the safety because it takes years to collect that safety data. Furthermore, there are huge groups of people on whom you have to test it. It's not only the first tranche of patients that you tested on, but then you have to say, okay, well, what about pregnant women and lactating women or people who have underlying autoimmune diseases or people who are of X, Y, or Z other illness, people who are on these medications? What about children? And then you wait. Unfortunately, no matter how much money you're willing to throw at a program, there is no substitute for time. There's only one way to get 24, 36, 48 month safety data. And that's by letting those time periods pass. Right. You can't simply say, we'll throw another $100 million at it and get the answer. So my concern was very early on. Then you add on top of that, Heidi, the fact that we have never been able to create a safe and effective mRNA vaccine. That technology has been in research for well more than a decade, but it has always failed in the past. So now, not only we were talking about creating a vaccine in record time with no safety data behind it and very little testing on any specific group of people, but on top of it, it was a technology that hadn't been adequately tested or hadn't been successful in the past. So it was really a double whammy. And now here we are, October 2022, and as you and I talk about frequently, uh, we have a mounting number of adverse events related to the vaccine. We have data that's showing disturbing trends, increase in all-cause all mortality, 
huge increases in disability claims, huge increases uh, in, in the claims to uh, the medical insurers. We're seeing coroners repeat reporting things they've never seen before. We have sudden deaths all of a sudden happening in young, healthy athletes and on and on. So when you put all of this together, I think it really puts, you know, it's, it's a pretty um, alarming uh, package of, of things, package of data, and we need to start unpacking it and understanding it. And unfortunately, the people in positions of authority, people at the CDC and FDA have simply refused to do that analysis. Yeah, it's so interesting, too, because these sudden deaths, we, we can't prove that all of them are attributable to the vaccine, but certainly many of them have a lot in common. The suddenness, the age of a lot of people, uh, I saw a series of videos the other day, one of the newsletters that I subscribe to. I'm sure you've seen these. There was one young man. He's in the grocery store. He's got his, his little cart, a uh, little uh, basket. He sets it down to check his wallet for food and see how much money he's got, which we all do now in the grocery store. <laughs> then he drops dead. I mean, then there was another yeah. one. And here's a weird one. This guy was standing there in a store and all of a sudden, no, I lied. He wasn't in a store. He was in a warehouse or something. And he's, he's, and all of a sudden he starts looking up at the sky and then spinning around and going straight down. And many of them have in common the same thing when they fall. They start doing this with their limbs. Their limbs get real rigid. Can you talk about that, doctor? Because I, I see that in so many of these videos and that seems to be a new thing. Well, many of them are actually having sudden onset of new onset seizures. Mm -hmm. So many of them are having a seizure and you're seeing that seizure activity in their limbs. Okay. Uh, you are right. We are seeing um, quite a few of these sudden deaths. We're people dropping dead. In the past, when we've said somebody dropped dead. We didn't mean literally. Uh, we mm. meant, you know, they had chest pain, they went to the hospital and, and they died. Uh, these are people who are literally dropping dead. They're in a standing position in the grocery store, on the soccer field, you know, so walking down the street. Backstage. They, I read about one woman backstage in, in the UK, 61 years old, dropped dead backstage. I mean, hello, she was healthy. She was yeah. in play. I mean, these kinds of the kid dropped dead in choir practice at 17 years of age. I mean, these are crazy things. Right. We have a, a, a DJ, a radio yes. uh, host who just di you know died in the middle of a show. We've had right. uh, news broadcasters. These are people, and those are in all likelihood the result of cardiac arrhythmias, meaning that the heart begins to beat erratically. You therefore don't get enough oxygen to your brain. Uh, you're, and you pass out and you are dead because your heart doesn't be, is not beating correctly. Wow. You know, we are seeing an increase in incidence of myocarditis, which is inflammation of the heart muscle, but we are seeing a huge increase in arrhythmias, atypical abnormal heart rhythms that are occurring. And some of them are turning out to be fatal. Do we even have any idea? Because I have a neighbor who had the shot. And she had never had heart problems. First, she got a blood clot. They can't operate. It's too deep in her brain. Now she's gone in and had an ablation, which to tell you the truth, doctor, I'm not a doctor. I'd never heard of an ablation until she had to have one uh, to try to fix her rhythm. And even with that, she's still having AFib. Could you address that a little bit? Well, we, as I said, we are seeing and we believe it is related likely to the toxic components of the spike protein. Uh, there are several different theories about why it is we are seeing these dysrhythmias, whether it's atrial fibrillation uh, or worse, um, some that are caught re resulting in sudden death. Uh, there's no question we're seeing a massive increase in them. And again, 
These are things that the CDC and the FDA should be looking at seriously. The cardiologists are seeing them. We're seeing them in the emergency department. Internists are seeing them. And very few physicians are willing to say, wow, this is likely the result of the vaccines. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the VAR system, the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, really under reports by a massive amount, somewhere between, you know, uh, maybe 10 and 100 times uh, the number of adverse events that are actually happening, because in order to be reported to VAERS, that means the physician or the individual has to consider the, the symptoms that I'm having or the episode that I'm having might be related to the vaccine. Right. And many, many people are hesitant or unwilling to acknowledge that. That's true. Now, I want to ask you about the sudden onset uh, illnesses before we do one other thing about the heart. When people drop dead like this, how can you, in an autopsy, if there's even an autopsy done, and that's been odd, I haven't heard a lot of results of autopsies on these people. If an autopsy is done, can you pinpoint what may have happened in an autopsy? It's a great question. And the answer is many times if it's a dysrhythmia, an an abnormal rhythm that causes it, no, you won't see any evidence of it. Uh, And that's part of the problem. Uh, There was just a a senator, I believe, um, whose young 17-year-old daughter, you know, died in her sleep. We're having a lot of these kids who are just going to bed and then not waking up. And the tragedy is that the autopsies will likely find nothing um, because there isn't going to be necessarily any evidence of a cardiac dysrhythmia. That's different from if somebody has myocarditis, you can take actually a biopsy of the heart muscle, look at it under a microscope and see that there is myocarditis, that there was inflammation of the heart muscle. If somebody has quote, a heart attack where there's a blockage, where their heart stopped because there was a blood clot, evidence of that. But if the issue is simply that the pacemaker of the heart, the thing that that sets the rhythm and makes it beat rhythmically uh, the way it's supposed to, if that goes awry and and there's some other cause of the heart beating erratically, you may not see any evidence of that on an autopsy. Right. So when they try to say, like this senator did, or congressman, I think it's congressman, uh, well, like he tried to say, well, she had, you know, an undiagnosed heart condition. Really? Did she? I mean, had she gone to a cardiologist a month earlier, what would the cardiologist have seen? Right. And the answer is likely nothing. We know from the data um, from the uh, International Olympic Committee that collected data on sudden deaths in athletes well before COVID, having nothing to do with COVID. There's data going back to the 1980s. The average number of professional level athletes that died suddenly was averaging around 29 per year globally. About 29 uh, athletes who are involved in professional or near professional sports, quote, would die every year unexpectedly. And most of those would end up being from some previously undiagnosed heart issue. Which would show up in the autopsy. Absolutely. So we do an autopsy, find out, yes, lo and behold, they have a cardiomyopathy, you know, enlarged heart, whatever it was. But on average, about 29 per year globally. We are having upwards of two and 300 per month dying suddenly wow. in the past 12 months. Wait, wait, I saw that on CNN last night, that stat. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sure you did. Exactly. Rachel Maddow was yeah. out was out there talking about exactly. it, right? Exactly. You know, no, wow. the mainstream media, you, you will never hear this. So we are led to believe, and, and the first answer is always, well, it's a result because people had COVID. It's because they had COVID. That's right. why they're all dying now, because COVID is that toxic and damaging. Well, there are some large studies now, several of them, including a large one out of Thailand that looked at kids ages 13 to 18 who had not had COVID. They did antibody studies, said these kids had not had COVID. They did extensive cardiac workups in these kids, everything from EKGs and you know echocardiograms and blood work, said none of them had any evidence of cardiac issues. They vaccinated them. And within a week, 29.4%, 30% of these kids developed cardiac abnormalities following vaccination. Unbelievable. So we know it wasn't COVID because we right. know they hadn't had it. Right. We know they didn't have an undiagnosed cardiac issue because they looked for it. And these events occurred within a week of getting vaccinated. Yeah. Wow. And one of the other things that's so awful is how people are going from zero to four when it comes to cancer and things like that. I, I know somebody whose sister in June had COVID. Her lungs were clear. They did a, a, an x-ray of her lungs, had COVID, had some other health issues not related to her lungs. And she's now dying of lung cancer that came out of nowhere and was diagnosed stage three a few weeks ago. And now she's probably going to pass pretty quickly here. In June, her lungs were fine. I mean, these are the kind of stories I know you hear them all the time. Can you address that? Yeah, well, I raised the alarm flag about increases in cancer very early on, again, because my concern with these mRNA vaccines is that they will have an immunosuppressive effect. And we are actually seeing that, meaning once you are vaccinated, your immune system does not seem to mount the same immune response certainly when you come into contact with COVID, and that's why you're actually at higher risk for getting COVID after you've had three or four COVID shots, you're at higher risk at five months than if you'd never been uh, vaccinated at all. So there's an immunosuppressive effect to the COVID shots. And people need to remember, your immune system is the first line of defense against cancer. Your immune system's job isn't simply to fight viruses and bacteria. It also is the thing in your body that says, sees that first abnormal lung cell, that abnormal breast cell or colon cell. It says, hey, that cell doesn't look quite right. I'll, and this gobbles it up before it ever takes hold and becomes a tumor, becomes a, you know, a, a cancer. So cancerous cells are first identified by your immune system, if your immune system is functioning the way that it should. If you have immunosuppression as a result of having been COVID vaccinated, then there is a significant concern that new cancers will take hold or that a cancer that you may have had that was in remission because of treatment with radiation or chemo or whatever else will rear its ugly head again because your immune system isn't functioning at maximum capacity. So this is almost like the way I'm thinking is when you get, when your immune system is shot, then anything you might likely have gotten 10 years, 20 years down the line possibly is accelerated is because some people get this, some people get that. Everybody's different, right? Correct. Correct. And what we don't know, you know, as I said, we have plenty of studies now um, showing that you are at higher risk for contracting COVID uh, after you've been multiply vaccinated. What we don't know is 
what is your risk for uh, contracting, for example, influenza or respiratory syncytial virus, RSV, or any number of other things? You know, what is your risk for contracting any other infectious disease or for developing, as we just said, a cancer or having resurgence of a previously treated cancer? Right. Now, let's, I want one other question about adults, and then I want to get to kids, because I know this is outrageous what's happening with children. We'll get to that. I've been interviewing some people who are vaccine injured. I've inter interviewed them. And for those of you who have not seen them, HeidiHarris.com are also on Rumble Headlines with Heidi. You can see these interviews I've done with these vaccine injured people because they need to be heard. And a lot of them are not being acknowledged by the medical community, by their friends. You know, doctor, you see this. One of the girls I interviewed, she has what they call now pseudo Parkinson. Parkinson's disease. In other words, they call it, her doctor said it was drug-induced Parkinson's. I mean, the and and here's the thing about this, this, this case. She holds up an entire box, you know, the box that you'd put like nuts or screws or beads in, those plastic boxes. The entire box is full of pills. And guess who makes them? Starts with a P, ends with an R. So Pfizer messes you up and now Pfizer is here to bring you pills. Have you ever heard of this pseudo Parkinson's? No, it's uh, I, I, that's that's not a diagnosis that I'm familiar with. Uh, sounds like what they're saying is you don't actually meet the criteria for right. Parkinson's, but we don't know what's causing it. So, right. uh, you know, we're going to smack a label on it. We know that there are has been a concerning uptick in many, many neurological diseases since these vaccines were rolled out. Um, we're seeing increases in new onset seizures frankly, 30 times more prevalent following these vaccines than following the influenza vaccine, for example. We're seeing what I call a, an epidemic of the itises, you know, a word that ends in itis, I-T-I-S in medicine, it means inflammation. So whether it's neuritis, tinnitus, myocarditis, pericarditis, colitis, hepatitis, uh, coli, you know, cholecystitis, all of the itises, inflammation of many, many, many different organ systems. Uh, and there's no question that the spike protein has an inflammatory uh, impact and that these mRNA vaccines are causing multi-system inflammation. And much of that is responsible for what we're seeing with regard to these illnesses. Interesting. And these people that I've been talking to who are vaccine injured have all these pills to treat this symptom or that <laughs> symptom. The problem is they're not solving the problem. The, the issue is the the uh, you know the little spike proteins that continue to replicate in their body. So you're just trying to you're hitting this. It's like the whack-a-mole game. You try to do this, try to fix the headaches, try to fix the shakes, try to fix this, that, and the other. But the reality is it's continuing. Right. We were told when they rolled these out and they first started their narrative that they were safe and effective. We were told, number one, that the injection stayed in your deltoid muscle where it was injected. Turns out, not only is that not true, Heidi, but they knew it wasn't true before the vaccines were ever launched on the public. We have the study, the Pfizer, it's Pfizer's own data out of Japan from before the, uh, the vaccines were launched. They knew that the vaccines not only didn't stay in the arm, they go essentially to every major organ system within a matter of hours. Goes to the lungs, the heart, the spleen, the kidney, the colon, and alarmingly, 11% of it ends up in the reproductive organs, namely the testes and the ovaries. Number two, we were told that you would eliminate the mRNA from your body very, very quickly. It still says on the CDC website as of today, within a number of hours. 
Well, they know that that's not true. It lasts for upwards of two months in most people. And we have no idea for how long you will continue to produce those spike proteins. Mm -hmm. And then thirdly, we were told that no way, no how could it affect your own DNA. That's not how it works. And I even said that, that normally mRNA does not get incorporated into the DNA. That's not the direction that it works. It goes the other way around. But turns out there's a large study now that shows, in fact, that the mRNA from these vaccines gets reverse transcribed into the DNA of your cells. So it does, in fact, become part of the DNA, or at least it does in liver cells. So uh, it, these are things that, as I said, would normally have been worked out during the prolonged testing period, which is simply didn't happen with these right. vaccines. And also they now admitted, and, and this was so insulting to begin with, the idea that if you have a vaccine, even if you're not sick, you can prevent or prevent you from transmitting COVID. Now Pfizer's come out and admitted they never tested that. Right. And, and that is one of the greatest frauds, Heidi, because it was the fact that they cited that, okay, you might not want a vaccine, but it's critically important, Heidi, because it will keep you from getting yeah. someone else ill. Exactly. It will prevent you from transmitting it. That was the, the premise for the mandates was that it was to prevent you as a public health measure from transmitting the virus to other people. Turns out they never even tested for right. that. Crazy. So the very thing upon which they based these mandates that are more and more being determined to be uh, capricious and, and arbitrary, uh, they didn't even test for that. And now we know, you know, clearly it doesn't stop you from contracting it. And it sure as heck doesn't stop you from transmitting it. It's to others. unbelievable. Let's get to the kids because uh, I, it's, I know you're beside yourself. I saw in our column. I know you saw the other day, Dr. Mark Siegel talking about, yeah, it's a great idea that this COVID vaccine is put on the list of vaccines for kids. Talk about that. I don't know if you want to talk about him or not, or just the, the issue in general. Absolutely unconscionable. Um, to be clear, the, uh, the ACIP, the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, which is supposed to be an independent board of scientists and physicians, met and voted 15 to zero to add the COVID vaccination to the childhood immunization schedule. Uh, the CDC took that advice and immediately codified it and said, yes, we think that's a great idea. And we will now put this COVID vaccine on the childhood immunization schedule. To be clear, the CDC does not have any legislative authority. So the decision whether or not the vaccines will be mandatory for children to attend public schools is ultimately left up to the states. But that said, most states will go along with the recommendation and most states will say you now need to have a COVID vaccination to attend public schools. This is preposterous given that children have no, nothing to gain from these vaccines. 86% of children per the CDC have already had and recovered from COVID, so already have natural immunity. They have an extraordinarily low risk of becoming significantly ill from this. And you're presumably suggesting that you're going to vaccinate kids every, what, six to eight months? Right. That was my next question. Every year now, kids are going to have to get yeah. a shot? 
Oh, more than once. They're saying probably every six to eight months. So you're talking about twice a year. So your average six-year-old is going to get, you know, what, 30 shots by the time, you know, he's he's 25 years old. Wow. The reason, however, and the more sort of um, nefarious part of this, Heidi, is that once a vaccine is on the childhood vaccination schedule, the vaccine manufacturers have blanket liability immunity in perpetuity, forever. They can never be sued. Oh, that's and that, is a, mm-hmm. that is a direct result of the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act that was passed in 1986. Congress granted in 86 that liability protection to any vaccine manufacturer. They said, if you create, if you're willing to roll up your sleeves and research and develop and, and uh, manufacture vaccines for children, if that vaccine makes it on to the childhood vaccination schedule, we will give you blanket liability protection. And in my estimation, that is entirely why they were so hell-bent on getting this thing, because the emergency use authorization, the EUAs, that is what's currently providing them immunity uh, from, from any liability or lawsuits. Those are due to expire in January. So they needed to get this thing on the childhood schedule before the EUAs expired so that the vaccine manufacturers would be free from any, uh, any, any liability. And if you watched Pfizer's stock, by the way, skyrocketed Mm -hmm. within minutes of the announcement that the CDC had added the vaccine to this childhood schedule. It's unbelievable. It's just, it's just stunning that people want to do this. And, and you look at the, the vaccine immunity and that kind of thing that gives them obviously blanket protection for this. And is there any other, I know you've been, as you said, you've been a vaccine zealot in the past, the amount of vaccines that kids get in general, I don't want to veer too off, but this is important. The amount of vaccines that kids get now versus how many you and I got as children is obviously a lot higher. Do you know of any vaccines that cause the kind of problems we're seeing? Just, and we don't even know long term because it's only been about, what, less than a year that kids have been able to get this. So do you know of any vaccines that are currently given to kids that cause the kind of myocarditis and other things we're seeing in children? Absolutely not. I mean, the VAERS system, the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, Heidi, was put into place by the CDC as an early warning sign, kind of the proverbial canary in the coal mine. It was put in place so that the the CDC would be able to capture data at the first blush, as soon as any physician or individual said, hey, I just had a weird event or something happened that might be related to the vaccines. Now, you know, we have this, this thing in place, thousands, tens of thousands, now millions of adverse events are being reported you know, by an order of magnitude more than any other vaccine. I can tell you when when it comes to deaths that have been reported potentially as a result of COVID, deaths from this vaccine are more than deaths related to any, all other vaccines, all 32 of them over a 24 year period combined. Okay. There is nothing that comes even close. New onset seizures, as I said, 30 times more prevalent following the COVID vaccines than any other vaccine. Uh, New onset cancers, infertility, myocarditis, all of these issues by an order of magnitude. Yet despite the fact that this is the CDC's own, quote, early warning sign, they have failed to investigate any of these. Yeah. 
That's that's crazy. I have a neighbor who's lost her husband to a sudden onset seizures. You know, doctor, you you have horses. You have a lot of pets like I do. I don't have horses, but I have a lot of pets. <laughs> Can you imagine if there was one video online, just one, of a dog running for a frisbee and collapsing and dying suddenly? Just right. one, one right. or maybe two. People would be marching on Washington, right. D.C., burning down the drugs companies or the dog food companies or whatever. Right? Right. There, there would be outrage. Right. Well, look, at in 1976, when the swine flu vaccine came out, there were when they got to 25 reported deaths that were potentially related to the swine flu vaccine, 25, they pulled it from the market. 25. Yeah. We were at tens of thousands within the first couple of months right. of this vaccine rollout. And they are still, as of today, say, safe and effective, safe and effective. Oh Don't forget to get your booster. You know, it, it is insanity. And again, this doesn't make me anti-vaccine. It makes me pro-safety, pro-data. Uh, and there's simply, it's unconscionable that we are continuing to foist these on people, particularly people whose risk from the virus itself is so low. Well, this isn't even a vaccine because a vaccine, I mean, I've actually seen people on Twitter trying to defend this saying, well, no, the point of this vaccine was never to stop me from getting it. It was to lessen the symptoms. Now, if I give my dog a rabies shot, doctor, my dog's right. not going to get a little bit of rabies. Oh, he got a lesser case. Only half his brain is going to be eaten right. up by the rabies. I mean, but right. what's, what's scary is this person claimed to be a PhD. It's frightening that people can even twist that around in their mind to even say something like that. You're right. And it's the, the risk here, the bigger risk is that it's going to drive vaccine hesitancy across oh, yeah. the board. Absolutely. Because in the past, people had every reason to believe if I get vaccinated for this thing, I won't contract it. I won't yeah. contract it. I won't spread it to others. Yep. Okay. Now, all of a sudden, we have something that we're calling a vaccine that doesn't stop you from contracting it doesn't stop you from spreading it to others. And despite what they keep saying over and over again about it lessening the severity of illness, there is a, a single study, Heidi, that shows that. Not a single study shows that these shots decrease your risk of being wow. hospitalized or dying. So they can say it over and over again. They have yet to show that in a study. So my concern is that people are going to say, wow, this vaccine was terrible, and they're going to generalize that to vaccines are terrible. I don't think I want to get myself or my children vaccinated, and it's going to drive vaccine hesitancy, which would be tragic for those things that we know have decades of safety data behind them, things like the measles, mumps, polio, right. rubella uh, vaccinations, um, which are largely very safe uh, and have done an incredible job at decreasing the spread of those illnesses. Yeah. You know what they say? If uh, uh, the truth is the truth, even if no one believes it, a lie is a lie, even if everyone believes it. Right. You know, that that's the truth. All right. I know you're swamped and I'm going to let you go, but give me your website. And I know you're on Getter. Uh, Kelly Victory MD, Kelly Victory MD, just a normal spelling on yep. Getter. Uh, and uh, give me the website again. Early it's COVID earlycovidcare.org. Right? 
And again, it's a website that has uh, a, a ton of helpful information. There's a huge library of articles, everything from uh, the ineffectiveness of masks to the concept of uh, social distancing as a made-up construct, lots of information about the vaccines, lots of information on early treatment, uh, treatment for vaccine injuries, treatment for long COVID, lots of resources to find a physician. Um, so it's, it's worth people going to if you have questions, earlycovidcare.org. What's that that trout behind you? I've seen a picture of you on social media <laughs> holding a big trout. You a big fly fisherman or doctor? I am. I am a fly fisherwoman. I am indeed. Fisherwoman. Yeah, that's right. In, well, my, in my copious free time. Well, exactly. Because everyone's, you're in such demand. I don't know how you even get out there, but I'll let you go. So maybe you can get in some fishing. Great to talk to you, doctor, as always. And I so appreciate, appreciate your courage because it's so rare these days, as you well know, among your colleagues, among my colleagues. It is. My, some of my colleagues have blood on their hands. I'm telling you right now. I'm not mentioning names. They have blood on their hands for telling people, I did my research. You should get this. Uh-huh. I, I yeah. have no regard for that. I know you've seen it too, and you must be just horrified. You will, you will end up on the right side of history, Heidi. I yeah. promise you that. It may be a painful road, but you will end up on the right side of history. I think that's true. Doctor, great to see you. Thanks. Appreciate it. That's Dr. Kelly Victory, and Early COVID Care is the website. Check it out, Early COVID Care. Uh, dot O-R-G. And uh, don't forget, you can find me Sunday nights right here in 97.1 FM Talk St. Louis or check out HeidiHarris.com during the week for videos that I do, podcasts I do. I'm going to keep speaking truth. I don't care if five people hear it or five million. I'm going to keep speaking truth. Remember that it's okay to get disgusted. I certainly do, but don't get despondent. God is still firmly in control. Until we meet again, remember you were created for a purpose. Find it and live it. Here's Tony Scottwell. Mm -hmm.